0: you're listening to the audio podcast of richard hefner's open mind for more information visit 13.org/openmind i'm richard hefner your host on the open mind and for years and years i've been reading what today's guest has written assigned edited or had edited for the New York Times long before I had the temerity to ask him to join us here. Bill Keller became the Times executive editor a decade ago. He had joined the paper in 1984 in the Washington Bureau, was a Times correspondent in Moscow from 1986 to 1991, the last three years as its bureau chief, winning a Pulitzer Prize in 1989 for his coverage of the USSR. He then became the Times bureau chief in Johannesburg, then the paper's foreign news editor, then its managing editor, then its top newsman as executive editor. Now Bill Keller is a much read op-ed columnist for the New York Times, truly a man for all times. Yet it was his intriguing column last month on smart drones that immediately occasioned my request that he join us here. And in preparing for today's conversation, I've read a good many pieces that Bill Keller has written, and I hope that he and you will bear with me if I skip from one to another today. But let's go to the uh, drone piece. Mm -hmm. What, What really lay behind that in your thinking?
1: Um, I have a kind of long-standing fascination with the geekier aspects of our military. Uh, I spent uh, a little bit of time as a Pentagon correspondent way back in the Casper Weinberger years um, uh, and have from time to time written about one aspect or another of it and, and, and the, the technology and how it affects uh, the ways of war uh, I just find fascinating. Drones have been in the news a lot and there's been a lot written about the kind of um, questions of how we use them now, whether, uh, how much license a president should have to uh, direct assassinations, whether there's something sort of unsavory and antiseptic about this long distance way of of killing bad guys uh, and certainly about the uh, questions about the collateral damage so-called, the deaths of civilians in these attacks. That's been written about pretty well, but um, the one thing that had not really been touched on in in what I was reading was the fact that the drones we have today are on a continuum. uh, And and the continuum leads towards uh, autonomy, is what they call it in the the military field. That is to say, at this point, there is a man in a control room, usually a man, but sometimes a woman in a control room, directing the, the drone firing the weapon, deciding whether or not this is the, 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 the person that they want to get and firing it off. Um, we are not all that far away from a day when the machine itself decides, when it would, um, uh, and in fact there are a, a couple of deployed systems that come sort of close. Um, they, in, in the military they refer to uh, human in the loop, which is basically what the drones are now, the the ones that are operating over Afghanistan and Pakistan and Yemen and elsewhere. Where there, uh, is, uh, a human where there is a human in the loop. There's human on the loop where the machine is, has an assignment and can go out and has a measure of autonomy, but it's it has a human watching over its shoulders, so to speak, uh, who can abort the mission at any time. And then you have human out of the loop, which is... Um, not the kind of fantasy of Terminator, you know, the robot killer coming back from the future, uh, but is the, cl- the the closest thing that I could find to, to something that actually exists is uh, a weapon that the um, the Israelis have deployed, <coughs> uh, and what it de- what it does is it flies around on its own, just flies these sort of lazy patterns, uh, and it reads radar signals, the signals that come off of radar. Uh, And it has in its uh, electronic memory, (laughs) I I almost said mind, in its electronic memory, a database of friendly radar signals. And when it encounters a radar signal that is not friendly, it presumes that that is probably some anti-aircraft installation that's hostile. And it can immediately transform itself into a dive bomb and strike that weapon, uh, that that radar installation. Um, You know, that's about as I think there are a number of people who are critical of of this tendency in weaponry who would say that one already crosses a line. Uh, But certainly there are things on the drawing boards that, um, uh, you know, take this farther and farther. And it sounds futuristic, but once you get, you know, on that slippery slope, there are a lot of things that kind of keep um, the tendency going. The, the military wants it because it wants to have the best weapons possible and, to, and they particularly like this because it means they're not putting troops at risk um, and, and that's of course the commander's the highest price the, the, an army pays. There are commercial pressures to keep this thing going because people manufacture them and sell them. There are 70 some countries that have the regular piloted drones that, that we operate. They don't all make them. Uh, there are some countries that make them and sell them, and they're a good business.
0: Has Israel made them and sold them? Yes,
1: <laughs> um, I don't think they've sold this weapon that I was referring to before, but they, but they, they do make and sell drones. Um, uh, and then there's just the pressure of science. I mean, my youngest daughter, who's now ten, is in a robotics club, uh, and it is h- a huge thing in, in schools around the world, sponsored by. Lego and, and companies like that, which provide the kind of ingredients for the, the, the first robot makers. And it, I, I went to one of the uh, competitions, the, the regional competition at the Javits Center in New York um, with my daughter, because her team made the finals or semifinals, I guess they were. Um, and it's very sweet. And it's, and, this is, and it's a great thing. I mean, these, these kids are learning how... Uh, and it's a, what's especially sweet about it, I think, is that there are a lot of girls doing it. So it's, you know, the, the notion that the technology, the, uh, the future of technology is in the hands of boys uh, is going to be disproven. Um, but science doesn't like to say we'll only go this far and then we'll stop discovering stuff. So there's, you know, there's military, commercial, and scientific research pressures for these things t- to develop all the capabilities they can.
0: Isn't this the place where we just shrug yeah. our shoulders and say, well, that's the way it's going to be? How do you stop that? You talk about Slippery Slope.
1: It's very hard to stop it. There are uh, a number of organizations, uh, including some of the people who were involved in uh, getting landmines banned, uh, which was, uh, although the United States has not signed on to that ban, we, d- we don't deploy landmines, however. We we follow the Spirit of the of the agreement without having actually signed it to our shame, I think. Um, but some of the people who were involved in in getting that enacted are on the case of of uh, uh, fully uh, what they call fully autonomous weapons. Are you betting
0: on the success of that effort? Uh,
1: no, I'm not. I mean the uh, I mean I I hope for the success of that effort, but I no, I would not. I'm not terribly optimistic, but. Um, I applaud them for trying, and I will probably applaud them again from time to time in a column. Does this
0: make you, as some people have accused you, of being (coughs) a Luddite? (laughs) Uh, You mentioned that before we went on the program, and indeed, there was a piece that you had done. um, uh, I'll find it here. The one on the the Twitter.
1: The Twitter trap, it was called.
0: Uh, Talking about uh, your daughter and... uh, it, that was eight years ago. How's she done uh, with uh,
1: no, the... No, it, was, it wasn't eight years ago. Wasn't it? It was, it was I think, three, maybe? Two or was three. Was Wasn't that? Two or three. Well, I'll find yeah, it. It was, it was right in the closing days of my time as executive editor uh, when I was writing a column occasionally for the magazine. You're right. It was
0: 2011. <laughs> yeah. But you say, I don't mean to be a spoiled sport, and I don't think I'm a Luddite.
1: Right. But are I mean, you or
0: aren't just, you?
1: Well, you know, I had eight years as executive editor of the Times, and th- the last five or six of those were spent uh, h- helping to transform the New York Times into a digital news operation uh, with considerable success, uh, both uh, in terms of um, reaching a much broader audience, and al- but also using the technology in innovative ways to gather news and to tell stories. I mean, I walk through, I'm still allowed, even though I'm up on the opinion floor now, I'm, I still have an all access pass, and I do walk through the newsroom from time to time. And it's, you know, the, the people still refer to it as the gray lady, which implies a kind of hidebound aversion to change, a consent of conserve, small c conservative attitude towards everything. I tell you, the New York Times newsroom now is like a laboratory, uh, and, and, uh, and they've tried all sorts of innovative things with interactive graphics and with audio and with data crunch, number crunching as a way of of supplying content for stories. Um, And I think that's a good thing. So no, I don't think I'm a Luddite. I think I've, I've certainly embraced uh, the fact that we, my business now lives in a digital world, even though that's sometimes unsettling. But um, I guess I would say I, recoil a little bit from people who tend to treat technology as a dogma or a religion. Uh, it's a tool, uh, an extremely useful tool uh, that can be used for good things and can be used for bad things. Uh, and and there is a, something of a tendency uh, among, um, you know, sort of young people who have uh, incorporated so much of the, social media and the new world into their lives, to say, you know, if you're not with it, you're not cool, you're, you're backwards, you're a Luddite and, uh, or a technophobe. Uh, uh, You know, I use social media, my children use social media much more than I do. Um, But, you know, throughout history, new technologies have always been um, uh, absorbed at a cost. I said in that column that my father, who was an MIT um, chemical engineer uh, and a a, a slide rule generation guy, used to complain that that since everybody had pocket calculators, nobody knew how to do arithmetic anymore. And he's kind of right. A lot of those math skills, uh, uh, you know, have atrophied as we depend on the new technology.
0: What then? What skills do you think are going to go by the board, maybe indeed have gone by the board in terms of our new technology? Skills or human approaches to? Uh,
1: well, some of, some of both. I mean, you know, I find uh, it's just on, in the category of skills. Um, I used to know how to drive myself around Los Angeles. I went to school not far from there. Now, when I go to Los Angeles, I rent a car with a GPS system, and the machine tells me. Where when to turn right and when to turn left, uh, and I've completely lost the sen- my sense of direction in, in a city that I once, you know, thought that I uh, knew. There's there's a lot of that sort of thing. The the part of the column that pr- produced the, the, the loudest kind of moans of um, indignation from the from the true believers. Um, I'm using loaded language, I know, but I'm a columnist, so I guess I'm allowed to. The, 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 the loudest complaints um, came when, when I talked about social media, uh, and um, I said a couple things about social media. First of all, <clears throat> that at least some the the very kind of quick response Twitter, in particular, uh, which is designed for you know wisecracking exchanges and sharing uh, links to other things is not a great place to have a discussion. The title of the column came from a a little experiment that I conducted where I I tweeted, uh, Twitter makes you stupid, discuss. Uh, And everybody reacted to the Twitter makes you stupid, but not to to the discuss. (laughs) Uh, uh, And in fact, it is not a very good place to have a civil discussion. It's good for other things. It's just not very good for that. I I worry, you know, to some extent um, that um if all of your social life exists online, you miss something if 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 your idea of a friend is somebody that you've friended on facebook, um you may be missing out the the kind of um experience that comes from having friends that you go out for coffee with and uh, and you know share your secrets with not in a in a way that's been written down or or uh, photoed photographed and posted, but that just sort of emerges from from real human contact, I worry a bit about that I'm not um, apocalyptic about th- that we're going to lose our uh, uh, ability to love um, but but I worry that it it is a that something may be lost
0: but doesn't that fit in to your first concern about drones that are self-driven. Isn't there a parallel? Isn't there a similarity there?
1: Yeah, there's, you know, they're both examples of the fact that, that these are tools and you, tools are to be used and tools should be controlled. Um, and when the tools begin to control you, that's a little scary.
0: And you think we have reason to be scared.
1: I think we have reason to be anxious. Let's say I'm, I'm uh, somewhere on the continuum between a little nervous and and panicked. <laughs> I'm closer to the a little nervous.
0: Well, subject. I'm much older than you, so that I'm so you very can nervous,
1: <laughs> and I'm panicked mm-hmm.
0: uh, about them. But
1: uh, I'm reassured by the fact that I have kids who uh, use social media uh, as a kind of mainstay of their social lives. The, the older one does anyway. The younger one's still 10, and she doesn't do much. We don't let her do that much. But, uh, but my daughters are still quite wonderful, um, nearly perfect. That's great. And
0: I'm sure when they hear that, they'll not think of you as, there goes <laughs> Dad again. But you know, there were so many things I said at the beginning that I wanted to ask you about having to do with uh, the press and other things. One had to do with a... Uh, a piece you wrote, All the Aggregation that's Fit to Aggregate, mm-hmm. and uh, that does seem to me, it seemed to me that it was such a an important thing to worry about, mm-hmm. um, but I sort of find it reflected in the Grey Lady herself with the emphasis so much now on uh, opinion and aggregating opinions
1: mm-hmm.
0: and publishing them.
1: <clears throat> well we all all aggregate uh you know if you use the term broadly and and always have and i mean a newspaper story is an aggregation of facts and opinions that you didn't m- originate or invent you collected from other people uh, but you, you went you, out <laughs> to collect them you went out to collect them and you usually attributed the information to the you know to the to the experts or individuals that you that you interviewed and and to the documents that you that you cited but the but um so aggregation per se is not a uh, is not evil um what is well uh, I have two two things that I would say about aggregation which is which is you know i mean you're right that the New York Times does a lot more of the kind of uh, the kind of aggregating that that is not just going out and interviewing people and putting their quotes into a newspaper article um we post common people's comments after our Uh, articles and opinion pieces and and columns, sometimes hundreds of them. Um, We uh, have a blog called The Lead which is very heavily aggregation and what it serves to do on on occasions when we don't have a reporter somewhere is to kind of sort through what other media have said or what individual sort of civilians tweeting and posting things to YouTube have said. Um, it, It its first great accomplishment I think was during the 2009 upheavals in Iran when uh, I was there for part of that and then they kicked all the foreign reporters out uh, and our aggregator blog, The Lead, um, put together um, information coming mostly through social media and, and occasionally from other uh, journalists who had found other ways to gather information and assembled it all and tried to make sense of it. So we aggregate all the time. The, the, the two points that I try to make about aggregation are, first of all, it's no substitute for going there. Uh, and going there is expensive, sometimes risky. Uh, it's often inconvenient. Uh, but going and actually bearing witness is, a, 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 a is not something that you can replace with just uh, aggregating the opinions of others. And the second thing is, um, uh, there's a line between um, citing, recommending that uh, that readers go look at somebody else's work, uh, and just stealing it. Uh, and some of the aggregators, uh, some of the aggregators, um, publish so much of other people's work, and at the end they may put a link. But but, but by the time you're done, you've read so much of. Uh, somebody else 's work that you have no need to actually go there and maybe generate the few cents of income that your visit uh would would generate through um you know by by clicking on an ad um, i mean it costs money to the, to do the going there and bearing witness But and i don 't think
0: it 's only a matter of dollars that you're concerned about is it
1: no i think it's uh there's a there 's an ethical question here too the, you know, we're still trying to figure out where that line is. Um, I mean, the latest case is, is this n- new um, television software that um, promises to, um, uh, if you pay them a fee, they will fish out of the airwaves all of the broadcast signals from the networks uh, and give you, uh, give you their stuff, live if you want, or stored if you want, uh, on your Cell phone. Um, the, needless to say, the TV producers are up in arms, and and uh, uh, and on this one, my hearts are with them. Uh, not that I particularly love everything that that appears on television, but it's it, it's hard, expensive stuff to produce, uh, and uh, and it's hard for me to justify. Um, swiping it and reselling it, um, uh, you know, with no reimbursement of the people who uh, produced it.
0: You know, turning to something very, very different, I told you before we began our program that my wife insisted, knowing who was going to be my guest today, that I've got to ask you about this. This this is a quote from you from somewhere because I didn't identify it uh, as I wrote it down. We have sometimes, talking about the press, in general. We have sometimes been too even handed, giving equal time to arguments that fail a simple fact check so that Mm -hmm. the New York Times for instance will report something outrageous Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that someone has said uh, and as I look at it, I'm going to be 88 for 80 of those years. I've been reading the New York Times Mm -hmm. and I by and large believe what I read in the New York Times, or at least I think that old symbol up at the top, all the news that fits, that's fit to print means it wouldn't be there if it weren't fit to print.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What's your fix on uh, <clears throat> printing a statement, a charge, an item
1: that you know? Yeah. When I wrote that, I didn't have in mind a particular offense. It, it's more of a chronic Problem. It makes it worse. It, it does. I, for, I should say up front that I believe in trying to be even-handed. I, I, you know, there is a school of thought that journalists should just abandon any pretense to objectivity, right. declare your politics and your ideology and all your views up front. I think that's a mistake. I, I, I mean, I know that it's part of the culture of some places. My, I have friends who work for The Guardian. In fact, I have a wife who works for The Guardian in the English paper, and their culture is much more... Uh, kind of overtly partisan, but ours is not, and I think there 's a real advantage to withholding your opinion uh, partly because once you 've spoken it, you feel it's some sort of impulse to defend it, uh, and that makes you automatically less open minded to to the other point of view so I, I am a believer in trying to, to to be fair and balanced in in presenting the news, but you know at presenting
0: there, <coughs> the news.
1: But, presen- but, uh, yes, the news or the views. Presenting the the, the news and well, so the news often consists of views. I mean, if, if you're writing about the politics of the budget debate, you know, you want to hear from the Republicans and the Democrats. That maybe nothing happened. Maybe the news is nothing but warring views. But um, you know, for a long time, my paper, everybody's paper, treated uh, climate science. Uh, as if it were um, a theory, the, 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 the notion that, that there is global warming and that human conduct contributes to it. Uh, and I think probably out of an excess of, uh, an, a, a sort of distorted sense of fair play, well beyond the point when the consensus of science was clear, we all sort of continued to tip our hats to the, to the denialist view. We don't really do that anymore. Certainly the Times doesn't. I don't, I don't speak for, uh, for you know the entire business, but my sense as a reader is that it has now become uh, n- nobody now feels obliged when writing about the latest um dispute over you know, car- cap and trade or carbon taxing or whatever to pretend that it 's an unresolved question of whether or not the the climate is changing i 'm um, uh, sure there are lots of other things out there um uh, you know where in, we are still uh, leaning a little too hard on the, on the uh, tradition of even-handedness even and, and probably giving um, one side more than it's due.
0: You see, I didn't mean even-handedness because I'd certainly go along with that, but I meant where you know in, in this quote that fail a simple fact check. Mm-hmm. But this is for us to continue, if you're willing to stay here and do a second program, because believe it or not, we've come to the end of (laughs) our time here. Good. Then thank you so much for joining me today, Bill Keller, and we'll come back in about five minutes, meaning next week. (laughs)
1: Thanks. Okay.
0: And thanks to, to you in the audience. I hope you'll join us again next time as well. Meanwhile, as an old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash Open Mind to reprise this program online right now, or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Mind and related programs.
1: That's 13.org slash Open Mind.